This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, everyone, time for a little State of the Tennis Union here. The date is August 24th, 2020, and I've now spent uh, about two full days in what's called the tennis bubble at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center, which this year, for the first time ever, is playing host to the Western and Southern Open, which is the event that takes place in Cincinnati. It's been taking place there for over 100 years. It's never been outside of... Uh, Ohio, I thought it was in Indianapolis a couple of times at one point, but it is a great event in the great Midwest that uh, just attracts people from all over the world, but particularly all over uh, that part of the country. People drive from Chicago and other parts of the Midwest and spend, you know, three, four days at the Western and Southern Open. So it's normally in Mason, Ohio, which is just outside Cincinnati, about 25 minutes from downtown Cincinnati. So it's got a great reputation for being very fan-friendly, very player-friendly. Outside courts are pretty relaxed, and the fans can walk around, see the players practicing, and so on. But, of course, this year, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has paralyzed much of the world, including the tennis world, um, the USTA, which partly which owns the Western and Southern Open, along with uh, some of the locals in the Cincinnati area, which of course started this event for so long. But the USTA became uh, the majority owner of the event a number of years ago, added the women's field to it as well. Uh, and because of that connection, uh, a few months ago, and looking at the calendar and looking at the reality or lack thereof of the U.S. Open actually taking place, which, by the way, is due to commence exactly one week from right now when, while I'm speaking to you, uh, they saw Cincinnati as an opportunity to move it to the same location here in New York uh, at the home of the U.S. Open and sort of create this tennis bubble here and not have the players have to go to another location uh, because it became apparent as the USTA was going through the machinations of what it would take to put on the U.S. Open this year um, that essentially having the players live in the bubble as they've done in, in some of the other sports, the NBA, of course, uh, down in Florida, in, in the Disney location, uh, the NHL having two cities. And baseball has been a little trickier because of the uh, the myriad of, of different places where the players are going. So tennis, I think, uh, had a lot of foresight in doing this. So the Cincinnati event has been going on for a couple of days. I'm actually, as we speak, watching Serena Williams, who is now leading 4-2 in the final set of her first match against Roos. So she lost a second, got down, uh, love 40 on her serve, the first game of the third. But she looks like she's picked it up here. Uh, so Serena looking to get through her opening match of the Western and Southern. So I showed up as an employee of ESPN. ESPN, if you don't know, is owned by the Disney company. So Disney has been going through uh, this type of situation for many of its employees, particularly at Disney World, where it's reopened recently in Florida. 
So uh, we have to go through sort of the Disney protocol. So we were all told to arrive at the airport hotel. We're using a hotel right by LaGuardia Airport, which is literally about two miles from the USJ Billie Jean King National Tennis Center, used by a lot of uh, people over the years who, who do work at the U.S. Open, particularly in the TV world, spending the long hours back and forth. Normally, those of us who work for ESPN as the announcers normally stay at um, a pretty nice hotel. Usually it is in New York City, but that was off limits to the players this year, also off limits to those of us working for ESPN. So uh, the players themselves are staying in two different hotels on Long Island. Uh, and essentially, here's what happens when the players have shown up. They've got to come in at least four days before they are scheduled to, to compete. They get picked up at the airport by tournament transportation from wherever they come in from. Many, of course, coming from different parts of the world, different countries, Europe being the most common uh, place where the players come from. Uh, And they get taken immediately to their hotel where they can check into their hotel. And they immediately go for their first uh, COVID-19 test. So I did a similar thing. I showed up at the Marriott Hotel uh, close to the airport. And Disney had set up uh, uh, quick testing for all of us, the, us announcers and all of the technical people, of which there are many, uh, coming in again from different parts of the country to work the U.S. Open. So we first had to get a test uh, just through our employer, who is Disney, uh, to allow us to then get a, a sort of a wristband, an armband, to then take us on our transportation, which is also social distance. You get on a bus and... It's spaced out so that no one's right next to each other. You have to wear a mask at all times when you're not, um, you know, in your own room. Uh, so you off you go. Off I went. And then on Friday after, uh, so I got, I got the, the test result comes back quickly, by the way, within a half an hour. It's called the rapid test, which we did for Disney. So the test came back. We all waited around the hotel area. Um, test came back. They give it to you in a little envelope. Um, and then when you get the negative test, which everybody has been negative so far, knock on wood, you then get the uh, band to go over to the site as we did on Friday. So this was sort of our, our, our run through. Once you get to the site, um, you show up to get your credential um, from the U.S. Open. So now you're under sort of the U.S. Open USTA protocol. Uh, immediately upon receiving my credential, which allows me into the grounds at the U.S. Open facility, uh, again, because I got cleared initially by Disney, you then go into a USTA, U.S. Open uh, testing protocol. So I went immediately into, they have an area uh, close to where the player locker rooms are that used to be actually a television studio when I used to work for CBS for many years. It was sort of an office and, and, a, and, a, and a studio where we used to do the late night show. That's been uh, over the years transformed into different office space. And they actually have uh, down the hall from there uh, another gym facility for the players to warm up. Uh, this is even pre-COVID. So you go in there, they've set up sort of what's now become a nursery for players' families to use. They've transformed the nursery into a small little testing area. You go in, you show your credential, you give them your name, your date of birth, et cetera, and then you go uh, and get your test. This was the first time I've ever been, I've been tested multiple times. Those of you who don't know, I did test positive 
for COVID-19 way back in, in mid-March when the pandemic first really broke out, <clears throat> excuse me, here in the New York area. So uh, I've been through different various tests a, a number of times, including uh, taking my daughters to get them ready to go back to in, in, in-person ballet school this summer. So they had to get tested for that. So we're pretty used to it in the McEnroe household here to get uh, t- tests. But this was the first test where they gave you, you, you the first thing you did, they told you to blow your nose, do that, put it in the garbage, uh, take the, <clears throat> the hand sanitizer, wash your hands, and then they give you your own swab. Okay, they're all in the PPE gear, the two people sort of administering the test. They give you a swab, and you do it yourself. You, you, you put the swab in your nose, you move it around for about 15, 20 seconds, then they tell you to keep it there. Hold it for about another 10 seconds. Um, <clears throat> so you do that in both nostrils. Very simple. Uh, you give them it back. They wrap it up. They give you a little coupon that has your number on it. But obviously, they, they keep it all in the, in the computer system. So literally within uh, 24 hours of that, you receive a text message or email uh, saying you've tested negative, which uh, so far, I believe there's only been one person that has tested positive out of uh, their, this, it started as, I heard two days ago, 4,000 tests. But now there's got to be more than that because I've already been tested three times. Now, twice I've been tested from the USTA, US Open Protocol. So I was tested again two days after that initial test on Friday. Uh, so, that system seems to be working pretty well, very well, in fact. Uh, the one person who did test positive was, I believe, uh, someone that was a trainer for a couple of South American players. Those players then had to go into uh, sort of a quarantine at their hotel. USTA is, excuse me, doing everything they can to uh, help those players. They've, they've given them their own uh, equipment to work out on. Whether or not they've been able to go and actually play tennis, that I know they were working on, but I'm not sure that's happened because that's uh, a little trickier to put that together. <clears throat> All right, clearing my throat there. So, uh, so that was the first day. That was before we were covering any matches. At that time, they were they were uh, the qualifying was going on uh, for the women's field. There was a qualifying for the women and the men. A couple those couple days leading up to what was Saturday, which was day one of the opening round of the Western and Southern Open. So that was two days ago. Now we were originally at ESPN supposed to only come in and cover the event from Tuesday on uh, for the last four days of the event from Tuesday until Friday, the championship match. Uh, but because, uh, partly because ESPN uh, has lost so much programming with the announcements recently of college football, uh, many of the big conferences not being played, the ESPN programming department saw an opportunity where we could get a few more days of live tennis uh, and jumped at the opportunity to put a few more days of the Western and Southern Open. That created a, a lot of logistical uh, challenges for our team because normally it's a separate uh, technical squad. I won't bore you with all, all the details on that, but it was, uh, it's been a monumental effort, let's put it that way, <clears throat> for us at ESPN to get on the air just for the first couple of days. And as I'm talking to you on this Monday, we've had the day 
most of the day off as Tennis Channel is running the matches now live. And we're back on this evening on, on Monday night. It's just, a, again, a programming snafu. Not a snafu. It's just they, they literally put this together within a week or so to get these early round days of the Western and Southern Open on the air on ESPN. There, It's always been planned to have it on Tennis Channel. We usually share the event where we come in the last four or five days of the Masters events and show it, and Tennis Channel does the first few. So this is where we're at right now. Uh, as far as coming on site on the day of the matches, it's been very interesting on day one. Uh, obviously, the... Uh, the protocol for us when we have our, our, our production meetings is all social distance. We, we go into our big meeting room. The first day, actually, we did it <clears throat> at the hotel, uh, which we've pretty much taken over the entire hotel so we can go to a big conference room. We can all spread out. Normally, when we have our production meetings, it's a lot more than just the people that you see. It's the people that... <clears throat> help make it happen behind the scenes, our production crew. And then and there's even way more people that, that uh, uh, I think we've got six, 800 people on site just for this event. So we usually have our meetings with the, with the, the announcers that you see on air uh, and sort of the main production crew. But there's hundreds of others that, that make what we do happen. So we had our meeting. We sort of talk about the day, and obviously everyone excited about being back to work as we are, back to being able to do what we do, which is present live tennis to you, the public. Uh, so on day one, you know, we were prepared for there to be uh, technical issues, as there often are, even even when we're all revved up and ready to go on the, on the first day of Wimbledon or the U.S. Open. In normal times, you can expect those things to happen. A, a well-oiled machine takes a day or two to get going, and there's a lot of technical aspects that go into it. But this, you, you're adding a whole other layer with, with the COVID uh, protocols that we all have to go through. Um, to keep everybody safe and healthy and to make this event possible. Uh, so then on top of that, you've got the fact that we weren't even pre really prepared technically to be able to do the first couple of days. But the biggest thing I think most of you are interested in is what's it been like inside the bubble actually calling matches. Wasn't that different on day one for us. We had to keep our distance from our partner that we were calling the match with. So we normally we're fairly close to each other in the commentary position. Luckily at the U.S. Open, you know, the, especially the new broadcast errors for the grandstand, Court 17 are pretty um, pretty decent sized space. You know, I've worked in many commentary booths that many of you have seen at Wimbledon, for example, in the bunker, the bunker in Australia. Uh, and Wimbledon, uh, where we do it right there next to, next to the court, it's very tight quarters. So social distancing in some of those places would be extremely difficult. Here, it's not that difficult. But we got a slap on the wrist on day one. Uh, we, Chris McKendry, our great host, came on the air. She was uh, giving a little overview of what was happening, went straight to uh, calling the first match. I, I, it was Chris Fowler was hosting. It was either Renee Stubbs or... or or Darren or Brad Gilbert, I can't remember who it was, but anyway, the point is, is that the medical officials, uh, the medical team watching did not think that they were far enough apart. They were not six feet apart, apparently, when they were just talking. They were pretty, you know, well-distanced, but it wasn't enough 
So we got a little slap on the wrist at the end of a long first day. We were on the air for over 10 hours. It finished up with myself and Brad Gilbert calling Dennis Shapovalov, Marin Cilicic. By the way, Shapovalov looked awesome in his first match. I know he just lost, I believe, the opening set in his second match against Jan Leonard Struff. Just checking the scores now here while I talk to you. Um, so, you know, it was a long day for all of us, but of course we weren't complaining because we were just so happy to be back on the air. Shapo lost the first in a breaker, up a break early against Struff in the second set. Uh, so we had some fun with that. Uh, but then uh, when we showed up for work the next morning to come back on the air, not quite as long of a day we had scheduled on day two. I believe we were on the air just from 3 to 7 p.m., but we were told then that uh, we needed, first of all, to make sure we were at least six feet apart when we were doing uh, anything on camera. And here's the other thing, which, which we weren't expecting, that we had to actually wear our masks while commentating. So that was something that we were a little surprised about because obviously when you walk around the grounds, you have to wear the mask at all times, except if you're sitting down and eating. And the USDA has done an unbelievable job with the facility. Okay, so let me talk a little bit about that. Preparing uh, all the stuff that they had to do for the protocols in place or the sanitizers everywhere. There's people walking around reminding the players and the guests uh, coaches to wear their masks. They've created outdoor eating areas uh, all over the grounds. They've created an outdoor sort of a play area to play basketball, to play miniature golf, to play a little bit of tennis, even if you want to have some fun. A huge area has been transformed that was one of the sponsor areas. I believe the Heineken uh, tent, they call it. They call it their Heineken bar, whatever it was. They've transformed like the bottom of that into a whole other fitness area. So the players have uh, lots of, uh, of opportunity to spread out. They've also turned the suites inside Arthur Ashe Stadium. <clears throat> you know, those are the big money suites where the big corporations uh, rent them, I mean, not rent them, buy them for the tournament, pay a fortune for them, get all the, the uh, fancy food and drinks in there. So, of course, because there's no fans at all this year, they've got these space. A lot of these spaces have sh uh, toilets and most of them have showers, as well. So those have been transformed into basically player locker rooms. So if you're a seated player, men's or women, so now when I'm walking up around the Arthur Ashe Stadium, you know, the inside, I'm usually rushing around from uh, being in, the, in an ESPN meeting, rushing up to be on the air. It's suite number 200 is our suite where we do our TV broadcast from. So there's two levels of suites, the 100 and the 200 level. So each suite now has a player's name. So you walk by, Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, Galbrinha Mugarutha, uh, Felix uh, Auger Aliassime. He happens to be right next to our commentary. So they've all got their own, if you're a seated player, uh, you've got your own suite. So you can go there, you can relax. It's set up for the players with a, a, a training table. The players, by the way, have been allowed, there's a lot of back and forth about this initially when they were discussing <clears throat> uh, holding the U.S. Open or trying to with the players and the tours, the ATP tour for the men, the WTA tour for the women, initially there was only going to be one a player plus one allowed, meaning you know, you're only your coach. So now it's gotten to plus, two, uh, they, have, they can have allowed three people. So each player can have a, well, whoever they want, but most of them have a coach, a trainer, maybe obviously if they have a, they're married, they have a spouse, something to that effect. So that is how it's playing out. So when you see 
you know, I'm walking around the grounds and I'm, um, I've been, I watched some of the qualifying on Friday. That first day I was there. <clears throat> it's, you know, it's eerie. It's kind of cool in a way. I've, I've been walking around that site since it was built. Okay. I've been going there as a kid. Uh, I was a ball boy at the U S open, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I obviously played there. Uh, I'm, I'm more recognized now because I'm working on television. So when I go around during the open, you know, people recognize me, certainly not like they would recognize my brother or the players. So it was, it was, it, it, it kind of struck me as I was walking around. I was like, it's kind of cool to walk around and there's nobody here. Like you can, you, you kind of can see the facility a little more. So I was thinking more, not so much about it for me, but for the players. So if you're, you know, you're Novak Djokovic now, you're walking around the grounds of the U.S. Open, which any other time he would do that ever, it would be like fraught with, uh, you know, just getting attention. He needs security around him. How am I going to get to the practice court? Um, so in a way, it's almost like the whole facility has become like the player lounge. You know, when you go to a player lounge at one of these big tournaments, it's the player's their coaches, their guests, you know, oftentimes there's, there's agents and so on around people associated with, with the professional side of the game. So you see those types of people. You, it's kind of like the tennis community, right? It all comes, especially to the big tournaments, the Grand Slam. It, it, you, you, it kind of, the player areas and the lounges and the locker rooms sort of become the, bu- the player bubble, right? In normal times. But now the whole facilities become that, become the player bubble. The only other people around... Uh, that you see in the grounds are people in the blue shirts, the uh, light blue shirts working for the tournament. Um, you know, they have a couple of the outdoor uh, food areas open so the players can literally go to like the food area and they, they take their badge just like they're going into the player restaurant inside Arthur S. Stadium, but now it's anywhere. So in, a, in that way, it, it, it's, I admit it's kind of cool to see that Obviously, from a playing perspective, it's totally weird not having the fans there and you're missing the energy. And I'm assuming that once we get in to those night matches, particularly during the Open, they're not having the night matches are just a one uh, scheduled at the moment, 7 p.m. So we haven't gotten into any of those like late night matches. So that crowd and that vibe will be missing. But uh, the first couple of days, it's been, uh, it's, been, it's been quite interesting. So I say the bubble, the, the player lounge is like the entire facility now. Um, <clears throat> the players walk out to the courts wearing their mask. I've seen some players walking around the grounds. If they don't have their mask totally on, you know, maybe their nose is showing or you know, people are reminding them, please wear your mask. It, it, in, a, in a way, it seems a little bit like it's overkill because remember, anyone that's in the facility, particularly the players and, and I mean, like myself, who it can, I can be around the players. I can be in their areas. I can't obviously go in the locker room or into their suite, but I can be in the, <clears throat> sort of the garden area where they come outside. Then I think the level of testing is a little more extreme. I mean, meaning more frequent. So I've already been tested twice on the grounds. I I believe it's every third or fourth day now from here on out. Uh, I'll be tested just, just the way the players are. So we're sort of at a level one type of, uh, of testing protocol. Whereas the people that are working the grounds who can't come in sort of the, the more closer contact with the players, um, aren't getting tested. I believe as often that being said, you can walk past them, uh, around the grounds, 
because the players could be anywhere. They could be walking anywhere. They could stroll around. They could be watching matches. So that's, I think, why they're taking uh, such care and such diligence about everybody wearing the mask at all times. Because theoretically, anyone who's on the site has been tested multiple times and they're negative. But I think the, and that's partly the reason why they asked us, I believe, yesterday, and I don't believe, I know, yesterday, to wear the mask during the match. So Darren Cahill and I called two consecutive matches, back-to-back men's matches, and uh, it was not that pleasant. I'm just going to tell you right now, Darren was very uncomfortable. I was somewhat uncomfortable. I mean, we got through it, but the idea of having to do that through 10, 12 hours, now we all get breaks at different times of the day, right? We have a big team. We'll have more people. My brother, John, Chris Everett, Chris Fowler coming in for a week for the U.S. Open two weeks. Uh, But still, I mean, the idea that we could be caught up in a best of five set match, uh, you know, for four, three, four hours straight, having to wear the mask the whole time. Now, obviously, if I need to take a sip of water during the changeover, you know, I can lift the mask up, take a sip. But uh, we called the entire match yesterday with, with a couple of matches in a row with the mask on. Uh, so it, it, it's sort of an, like the world we're living in now. It seems to be sort of an evolving situation. We're going with it. We're all very happy to be back. Oh, my goodness. Serena, who was way up in the third, I'm now watching. She's serving down break point at five all in the third. She was up, and now she's down break points here. And she just hit a forehand winner to save one of them. So uh, we're happy to see pro tennis back. I think the players are very happy. I think, look, the feedback from the players so far to the job the USTA done <clears throat> has done has been outstanding. And by the way, we have to order our food. You can some, Sometimes you can get food right away. But for us in the TV compound working, uh, and there's, as I said, there's lots of us, uh, not only working for ESPN, but from some other entities as well. Uh, we are ordering food like two to three days in advance. And then you go to the cafeteria, the canteen, um, and you, you, put, you, you, put, you give them your name, and they, they have your order, and they, and they have it ready. The food is really good. I mean, I'm being really surprised. You can order like either chicken, you can order some beef, you can order a nice salad, you could get some fish. Uh, and so they put a, I mean, the amount of effort to organize any one of these events during normal times, obviously is off the charts, but they're used to it. This, you know, and from everyone I've spoken to that's work works for the USTA. And I know many of them because I used to work for the USTA running player development. I mean, it has been a monumental effort and I give him a clap, you know, Brad Gilbert golf clap for pulling this off and making it, uh, not seamless, because how could it possibly be seamless, but making it so well organized, um, really taking care of not just the players, but those of us in the broadcast world and the people working the grounds as well. Uh, people seem to be very relaxed, um, very confident, uh, and so far so good. Serena, by the way, dropped her serve there, so Roos is going to serve for the match in the 6-5 in the final set. But I've gone on already for 27 minutes straight. Uh, you know, you, those of you who know me know I try to keep the pods, you know, 20, 25. Maybe we go over a few times here and there. But uh, there'll be plenty more to discuss. We'll continue. To, I will continue to update you on how things are moving along at the Western and Southern Open. Uh, shout out to my friends at Grader's Ice Cream that sent me a nice uh, little care package during 
the time I had COVID-19, so we had a little fun with that on uh, night number one with myself and Brad Gilbert. If you want to send me some more, I'll be, I'll be fine with that too. Maybe even sponsor this podcast. Holding Court, everyone, with Patrick McRidor. That is my current state of the tennis union. with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.